to the Ontario Outdoor Pursuit Podcast. We deliver a hunting podcast from Ontario, Canada. We're going to give you season updates, harvest reports, and how we go from field to plate. We're going to even talk about our equipment setups and all the cool hunting stories we've experienced over the years. We're just a couple of guys who understand we don't know everything, but boy, can we put meat on the table every year. This episode is brought to you in part by our friends at Desjardins Insurance. Whether you're sitting at home, on your ATV, or in the woods, Desjardins has you covered with home, auto, and life insurance. They can even insure your trophy mounts. Contact Cody Sullivan today at 519-601-5775 or cody.sullivan, that's S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N, at Desjardins.com. And welcome back, everybody. Ontario Outdoor Pursuit. This week, we are joined by a special guest. Um, a very cool product, really, because it's something that we can't kick. Yeah. Uh, I drink it every morning, evening. I make evening. it every morning before work. Absolutely. So, without further ado, we have Hunter's Blend, very own Mike on the line. Mike, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys? We are doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, why don't you start off with letting our listeners really know what you guys, who you guys are, and what you're about? Sure. Yeah. Well, we're three brothers-in-law. Uh, Paul and Ken both married uh, two of my sisters. Right. Uh, I grew up in Iowa, and Ken, when he married my oldest sister Twyla, I was around 13. I grew up on a farm, but hadn't been introduced to anything outdoor sports-wise. And he took me trapping. Yeah, I just fell in love with it. I did that all through high school. Um, I just loved everything about it. And uh, never got into hunting a whole lot myself. Uh, by the time I got out of high school, I had kind of I moved away. I just got away from all that stuff, being involved with it personally, that I would stay in touch, you know, vicariously to other people. Um, maybe a year or so after Ken came into our family, Paul, married a third sister of mine and he grew up in northwest pennsylvania in you know that deer camp kind of um history and and so i get to hear their hunting um always really enjoyed that um but when my son was in sixth grade about seven years ago because he's a freshman in college now um he took an archery class in school he was doing it he just excelled at it very quickly and i was taking him to lessons to a real good friend of mine, neighbor by the name of Troy, and I just kind of got bit by the bug when I was over there with him, and that's when I started bow hunting. And so, I I'm 52, and I'm kind of still I consider myself a newbie at, at at bow hunting. I've been doing about six years now, and um, pretty fortunate have we've only got five acres that we live on, but the, there's about a two acre swath across the back that's a kind of a, a choke point between two pieces of timber. The creek runs through there, and and um, um, I was going to try to I send you guys a picture. I This never happened before. I was out back today, and there was literally half of a, of a 12-point back laying on the back of our lawn, um, about 100 yards behind the house. I had the big one. Never stumbled across them. I mean, it's literally where we mow grass. Um, the first time anything like that's ever happened, but that was pretty cool on the day that you guys were calling. But um, Paul, uh, he was involved with the missions organization for a lot of years, and a lot of what they did was funded um, church and community projects in um, some of the more developing countries, Central America, Southeast Asia. And especially in Central America, you know, 
know, he noticed that it was just becoming an annual thing. You know, they, they were very dependent. They, they weren't proud to ask for the money, but it was just kind of what they had to do to do their project. And it wasn't the easiest thing for him, I should say, you know, to ask for that money. But it, it was just kind of a revolving door. He started to not have the greatest feeling about it at times because like, we're not really helping people. I mean, we're doing good things. But finally, it kind of dawned on them. And he told them, look, I just spent 15 ba- bucks for a bag of Starbucks. And you guys are elbow deep in coffee down here. I, you know, seeing to me that you guys paying for all these projects. Well, um, they explained to him very quickly how the coffee industry works. It, it's just commodity traded. So on years where the prices are great, chances are they had a poor crop that year. And then by, you know, they got a great crop. Well, prices are down. And after it's moved through five or six levels of buyers and sellers before it gets up here to the U.S., you know, when you chop that commodity price coffee down to all those slices, nobody works for free, uh, clearly. So everybody that handles that coffee has to make something. By the time you get down to the farmer, there's not a lot for the farmer. Especially these rural farmers, they don't have a lot of outlets to go to the buyer that travels up an hour or two up in the you know, the, the back roads up to their village, to their, their farm, and says, hey, I'll pay you X for your coffee. And they're kind of beholding him uh, to buy their coffee. And so it was a long process. Uh, setting, you know, the farmers had to become exporters. Paul had to become an importer. Uh, it didn't happen overnight. And there's a huge trust issue there. In fact, people told Paul, well, you can't do that. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll switch, you know, they'll, they'll give you a sample of coffee. And so yeah, I'll take a container of that, and the container shows up, and it's, it's a poor grade. Well, now what do you do? You're stuck. And so it, it's kind of hard to reverse engineer what how this whole, whole thing worked out, but it, it's based on longstanding relationships with the people in those communities and farmers that we've gotten to know uh, over those many years of working down there already. And so there was already a built-in trust factor. So move forward to now where there's I don't know what it is exactly, four or five containers of uh, shipping containers of coffee coming in a year. Uh, most of it in the hundred blend is the, the biggest percentage is Nicaraguan, and then it's about a, a third uh, Thailand coffee as well. So it's not like a handout. It's not a social program. Uh, it's just paying the farmer what the coffee's worth, and since there's no middleman taking a cut, the farmer gets the whole amount. Uh, that's kind of the the, the model of, of how we're buying the coffee, it's one of those things that kind of hides in plain sight. You know, most of us just go to the store and buy whatever's on sale this week or whatever's our, become our favorite brand of coffee. But in the process of buying direct uh, and going to the specialty coffee uh, meetings, uh, trade shows, stuff like that, you really start to see the causes that the typical or that's often common among the coffee industry, coffee importers, the causes that they support, let's just say they maybe aren't the causes that you and I would support. Right, right. Uh, to, to put it kindly. And so uh, it, we kind of found out by default, hey, because the reps from the farmers, we're actually bypassing that kind of underbelly of coffee that we don't all see, but that is there. That's not necessarily very hunter-friendly. We bypassed that. And... Uh, very pro-hunting, you know, from the farmer, your cup, the only person in between in that chain of custody and ownership of that coffee is Hunter's Blend, and, and we're, we're hunters too, so clearly we support uh, hunting ourselves. Now, we partner with some different uh, conservation and hunting organizations, and I'd like to mention one of them a little later on, too, uh, somebody that we're really trying to gain exposure for uh, that 
they do a lot of work to help preserve our uh, hunting rights, uh, you know, at least here in the state, uh, you know, for into the future. So I don't know if they get, I need to find out if they get involved in Canada, I don't know. But uh, there's always, people are taking it to the courts where they can kind of whittle away at our freedoms to hunt. And, uh, you know, if we don't, if we're not intentional about keeping those things at bay over time, our, our freedoms get, get eroded. So that's what we're trying to do on the positive side. You know, on the, on the import side, kind of eliminate some of the negative aspects of, of coffee. And on the positive side, then support hunting and uh conservation organization that's kind of what we do that's perfect we uh you guys indirectly made our year a lot better what happened was uh in 2018 when we were up for archery moose in northern ontario cam decided to buy a generic coffee brand it's our podcast so we'll say it was maxwell house and uh all of us were pretty pissed off because it's awful (laughs) coffee so it Going into 2019 archery camp for moose, we're pretty excited to actually bring hunters. Things are definitely uh, yeah. looking up from this point. Exactly. Yeah, archery uh, hunting for moose, you say? Yep. That, that's on a lot of people's bucket list right there. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. That's uh, kind of routine for you guys. Well, I mean, it's like a it's a 26-hour drive from us from our house, but, I mean, it's it's well worth it. Very much so. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you go for that? Uh, so... I mean, is that, is that still Ontario, or are you going elsewhere? Yeah. It, it's still Ontario, kind of close to northwestern Ontario. Sure. So. 26 hours and you're still in Ontario. Yeah, because yeah. we have to, if we go the long way or if we go through the states, we got to, it's a little faster through the states for us, but if you were in, oh, uh, okay. if you were in Minnesota, it might be a shorter drive. We are at the, uh, just yeah. so you can kind of put it in perspective for yourself, we're at the very kind of edge of southern Ontario. So we're uh, we're going to the most northern part, really, as far as we can in Ontario. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I just pulled up a map here. That is a trek. <laughs> yes, wow. sir, it is. It's, uh, wow. we get to that's see lots. Wild, that's that's got to be some wild country up there. It oh, yeah. is very There's, much so. We got chased by, uh, surrounded by wolves last year with our bows. Uh, we had lynx out wow. there. Bears and giant black bears. bears. Yeah, it, it's a good time up there. So yeah. are you are you allowed to carry uh, handguns and stuff during archery? No, no, sir. We're in Canada. We're not allowed that. <laughs> I gotta remember all the tools, right? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's either uh, get good with your bow or uh, become dinner. <laughs> That's a good wow. way to put it. Hey, I'll tell you what. I I literally can walk out the back of my house, and I'm not. I don't. You know, pretend to be, you know, the guy that's out backpacking in for five miles and, you know, camping out and hunting. You know, I, that's, I don't, I haven't anywhere close to that level yet. I can, I can see my stand, if the leaves are off, I can see my stand from the, from my back porch. So, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, you guys are on a slightly different, uh, plane than, than where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yes. Like when we, when we deer hunt, we're talking, it's like a 10 minute drive to our deer hunt spots. Um, yeah. Same, same for turkey and waterfowl. You know, we're in southwestern Ontario for that. But the moose and even black bear, we got to make a bit of a drive for those ones. Yeah, black bear is at least a six-hour drive. Quite a uh, varied, probably, terrain and, and uh, wildlife then all throughout Ontario. Oh, it's 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 so diverse and it's so... It's awesome to see yeah. the change as you go from, you know, in the, the southern part here where it's mainly farmland. Uh, we have a large 
crop sector compared to the rest of Ontario and as you slowly go along the highway you can see the change as as you hit four hours the leaves are different the trees are different they're taller once you hit that you know 12 hour 15 20 hour mark the trees are now doubled in size and it's uh it's really cool to see the change in just everything from from still in the same province right yeah 26 or 29 hours to get up there yeah, 26. Yeah. So oh, one one thing that really stands out to me that you mentioned there, Mike, was just how involved you guys are in the process of uh, purchasing direct from the farmer and then distributing. Yeah. And I, I think that's really great. And one thing that should, shouldn't really be overlooked in today's society, even though it is, um, is, yeah, people buying just what's on sale having no understanding of where something comes from. And I, I think with more than just uh, coffee itself, uh, there's so many other things that we can make that practice in. And flavor aside, that that's one thing to make me continuing to buy Hunter's Blend Coffee for yeah. sure. And you guys are a company that support hunters where most other companies are going to, they're, you know, they're more likely to support PETA, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, if I was a betting man, I – and I was going to put my money on one way or the other. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. You know, we're not saying that every other company's importers anti-hunting. No, we're not saying that. But if you want to draw your odds, that would be a, probably a, a safe. You know, and I, I, one of the things I I like to highlight is sometimes when you're paying for a product that supposedly let's just say more environmentally friendly or this or that friendly, a lot of times you can kind of feel like you're paying a premium that's really a subsidy, kind of a handout. But because you feel sorry for something, you're going to, for someone, you're going to gonna pay more. And the reality is with uh, Hunter's Land Coffee, it grades out for anybody that kind of follows a coffee week or whatever. Um, it grades out at an 85.7. It's, it's pretty high on the scale. It puts it in the top 6% of coffees. It's in the specialty uh, classification. If it was a national brand, it would act more. It were probably a dollar or so less than a, a comparable grade in a national brand. So you're not paying more because it helps the, the local farmers uh, down there. You're not paying more because it has a set of deer antlers on the bag. It, it is a high-grade coffee. So you're getting what you pay for is, is a nice thing. But, yes, then the, the, the farming families and communities that grow it, they also benefit, too. And it doesn't have to be a social program that is a net drain on the economy. You know, a lot of social programs might do some good, but when you look at the net cost to the economy, it's the net drain. You know, this it, this helps everybody. The farmers are doing better, but they're not getting paid a handout. It's paying them what the coffee's worth, and because there's no middlemen, they get the cut that the middlemen used to get. So it's yeah, you're just getting a high grade coffee at a good price, and uh, and it does it does do a lot of good for those communities. Diego, the farmer in Nicaragua, done a lot of things. Been able to hire, move a lot of his employees from seasonal workers to year-round. Um, he's built a uh, medical center and a school. He does he sponsors a lot of churches and pastors. He uh, in Taiwan, uh, there's about 80 women that sort the coffee beans. About three quarters of those were previously away in uh, Bangkok in form of the sex trade and when they heard there were good jobs at home jobs with dignity they they moved back home and the presence of those women in the village 
has made a, a visible change on that village because the families are back together and there's hope there. It's and but again, it's just it's it's just a different business model, but it, it and it benefits everybody. Yeah, there is a difference. Yeah. So how is it just, you know, because there, there is a, a million coffee companies out there yeah. and, you know, you, you have Hunter's Blend. Now, I'm going to just go on a whim and say that's because Hunter's were interested in coffee. So you decide to call it Hunter's Blend. But w- what is the origin of the Hunter's Blend name? And I guess how is it that you guys appeal to Hunter's with, without just having the name Hunter's or Hunting in, in your, your brand? Well, that's a good question. So the parent company is called Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, and that's Paul and my sister Grace started that, uh, I forget, early to to mid-2000s and started doing the importing and the roasting. And a few years back, he had the idea of there's not really a coffee that's being marketed to the hunting community. And along the line, along the way, then he invited Ken and I uh, in the, the company and we, we spun off Hunter's Blend rather than it just being a blend that's offered by the parent company. It's now its own company. And so that's a really good question. Well, why is this any more hunting coffee than, than the next one? And it kind of goes back to the sourcing of it. Uh, like I said, we're buying Farm Direct and it kind of bypasses that import chain that tends to be not real hunter-friendly, number one. And then on the, on the plus, uh, we partner with uh, Rocky Mountain Health Foundation and National Wildlife Federation and uh, Sportsman's Alliance and just a lot of different, you know, safari club uh, hunting organizations like that that we try to support on the, on the positive side. So those two are kind of the, the parts of it that I would call the, the hunting uh, what makes it a hunting coffee. No, that, that's a perfect way to answer that. And now I can properly answer that for the questions that come at us. Um, now, what are the, why don't we talk about some of the most interesting stuff and some of the products you have? Um, aside from the gear, I know you guys got some sweet gear and we can touch on that. But what kind of um, blends do you guys offer? So right now, uh, we have the original roast which is like a medium to dark rose. It, it really hit three quarters of the people's palates probably. Now, and one thing is, at the end of the day, any coffee, ours or, or anybody, it still does come down to personal taste. It doesn't mean, even though it's a high-grade coffee, it doesn't mean that every soul is going to keep it. You know, it still does come down to personal preference. But we have found the original rose really hit most butt. Uh, we kept getting requests for dark, so we changed up the, the blend a little bit and, and came up with a dark rose. And that was, that was kind of fun because we did a, a social media I guess, contest to, to name it, and somebody came up with black powder, and we liked that, so that, that's our dark rose. That is still pretty smooth. The original rose, like I said, it's a medium to dark. There's a lot of people that they don't use creamer anymore. They've always used creamer. And a big reason a lot of us do creamer is it just kind of smooths out some of those bitter notes, a little bit of harsh or what we often call acidic. Uh, there's a lot of people that have found out, you know, a lot of just against the black, uh, which is a big compliment for us. The, the black powder rose still smooth horse, considering that it's a dark, but it's definitely going to have more of a bite to it than the, than the medium. And then, of course, we have the K-Cups, which is just a different format for it. But uh, one of the things that the next that we're working on is not so much a different roast, but a different find, something that we can package in individual packets. So something that's going into the backcountry can actually have uh, a top quality 
coffee as long as you can see water that's all you need but that that's something that that we're working on right now and i'm really happy that you mentioned that because that is one thing that we are uh and I, I was going to ask you, but I wasn't sure if that was uh, in the works for the public to hear just yet. Super cool idea and definitely one we will be promoting, one we will be using. So I look forward to seeing that. And I think a lot of other people will. Well, and I won't say too much more than to say there there is actually a Canadian connection on that that idea. So hopefully that'll sooner than later get introduced and that, that'll probably be part of that. But that's probably the next request I think we've heard the most. Uh, the, the two early requests early on was for the take-ups and then the dark roads, but that something to carry into the backcountry is that has probably the next request. So that's that's what we're we're working on. And then you mentioned gear. Yeah, we got t-shirt, really cool stainless steel double wall mugs that are really nice because they work great for a camp cup. You know, you can drop them and bang around; they won't shatter. But they're double wall, so they keep your stuff hotter. And then of course the tumblers and all that kind of stuff too. So we're also looking, you know, for a retail outlets. Sell most of, by far, most of our coffee online. But we're always open to, you know, retail outlets. So, you know, people, you want to ask for it at your, at your local hunting store to get in touch with us. We have a built program. And, and the goal there is, obviously, the more outlets for the coffee to be available. But, you know, if somebody stops in in the off-season to buy a bag of coffee, maybe they pick up a pack of rawheads or who knows what, you know, they'll be hopefully we can see some uh, come in we know a lot of companies out here that we would like to have stock you guys and i think it'd be great i kind of want to tell you about my day though right now just because uh cam and i were laughing so earlier this morning uh i woke up at 5 30 to make some coffee before i got to work so uh right there's a question that comes after this but anyways i used my french press and made a great cup of coffee went to work and then my day was ruined because the contractor <laughs> when i was done my coffee the contractor's like hey let me go buy you a coffee i said okay and uh, he went and bought me a cup of Tim Horn's coffee, and you've ruined Tim Horn's coffee for me because it tastes way too damn watery now. <laughs> but what I was getting at is Cam and I are both very into using our French presses. I know a lot of people sometimes use a Coffee drip. connoisseurs. Yeah. yeah. I w- wanted to ask what your favorite way to make coffee was and what you kind of, you know, can you use this, uh, can you use Hunter's Blend in any format, like uh, a dr- slow drip or anything? Yeah, I mean, truly, I'm pretty simple. I literally just use a regular old dial coffee maker. But I know some people like to use it in the, in the pour over, um, like you said, French press. Some people do the cold brew. I mean, it's, but for me personally, yeah, I'm pretty old school. I just use the old coffee maker myself. I would, uh, I, I will be recommending definitely use the uh, French press. The French press is awesome. We've got some of our buddies hooked on it. Um, one thing I actually want to see, and obviously you and I, we can we can talk to some of our local uh, distributors for hunting supplies. But I want to see that tumbler, that Hunter's Blend tumbler on the shelves. I got to tell you, that Hunter's Blend tumbler compares to yeti side by side i was cursing hunter's blend on the way to the sportsman show on saturday because every time it gets me and and yeti does it to me all the time it burns my mouth so it was great that it definitely worked marcello's rocking the chalice as we like to call it that's gonna be uh the the moose camp chalice and uh Yeah. yeah So super cool. So for everyone uh, that is listening, where can they go to check out some of the cool stuff that you guys have as well as the uh, coffee blends? It's Hunter's Blend Coffee, all three words together, huntersblendcoffee.com. 
and then we're on all the social media platforms just under Hunter's Blend, but the website is huntersblendcoffee.com. Well, you mentioned you had a couple of local hunting stores there. The more, especially in Canada, the more retail outlets we can get associated with, that's going to help a lot with like shipping and stuff, uh, yeah. as opposed to, and we do, we ship a lot. We ship plenty to, to Canada, to individual customers, but probably it'll be a little cheaper shipping wise if you know the more stores that start carrying it they get that that extra cost on shipping so you'd mentioned a little earlier and i definitely want to touch on that conservation some of the the programs the people and other companies you guys deal with do you want to talk to us a bit about that yeah sure we get a lot of requests you know at different times from uh organizations to partner up with them when they're doing you know fundraisers and things like that and we're in the safari club international uh, fundraiser catalog and and, uh, you know, support some of the different veterans' causes and, and those types of things. But the uh, Sportsman's Alliance is, is, is kind of our, I guess, our flagship organization that we support. And they, I just, just checked, they do just work in the U.S. So, uh, but I don't know if, there's a, if there is a comparative organization in Canada or not, but they're kind of like the NRA of hunting and fishing and trapping. They were founded here, actually, in Ohio back in the 70s. There was a ballot initiative that was trying to put an end to their limit or put an end to trapping. And people, you know, they, they pick states that they feel like, hey, if we can make it slight air, we can take the other states. And there was just a grassroots effort of people that came together and fought it and um, got it turned down. And so after that, there, you know, some other state was facing a similar thing, and they, they got a hold of these guys and said, hey, can you help us out? One thing led to another, and it just became a full-fledged organization. And so, like, right here, just, just in the U.S., so, you know, but just by comparison, I'm sure Canada is similar or, or, you know, has a lot of the same types of things going on, but they're currently monitoring over 500 pieces of pending legislation. Well, I say pending, but uh, proposed or pending legislation here in the U.S. that if it were to pass, each one of them would in some form or fashion limit our, our freedom and ability to hunt, trap, or fish. And so a lot of times they're hidden. You know, a lot of these initiatives, and I'm sure the very same tactics are used up there where there will be an initiative about whatever it could be an environmental thing or an animal thing but really what's hidden in that is language that will then you can and will be used against like a few years ago in maine there was an uh, initiative that got that fortunately they, they won against but i think it was humane society usa brought the case i forget who it was that brought the case but they wanted to stop the inhumane practices of, of hunting bears over bait or and with dogs well it, it, uh, it wasn't anything about the humane or inhumane, uh, you know, they, and they, they said, you know, no, we're not against bear hunting. We just want to stop these inhumane practices. Well, in Maine, it just so happens that 80% of the bears are hunted with one of those two uh, methods. They've taken a huge chunk, if they were to pass that, they would take a huge chunk out of the ability to, um, to hunt bear in, in Maine. So that's a lot of the... the and I'm sure the very same thing happens up uh, in Canada where these pieces of legislation are pretty sneaky. Like right now in the U.S., there is a Lake Erie Bill of Rights, you know, piece of legislation that's being proposed. And literally, 
give extending. I mean, they want to amend our state constitution. It's almost like it's, uh, giving the right of personhood to, to Lake Erie. Well, can you imagine the trickle effect of anything could be said, oh, that could harm Lake Erie? You know, just the slightest ripple effect of what, if that were to pass, what that would mean to hunting, trapping, and fishing. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's really organizations like Sportsman's Alliance, and hopefully there's one in, in Canada along that line. I, view, I used to do construction, and I view the kind of work that they do is like, you know, the days you're down in the hole digging out your, your footer and, and throwing around heavy forms, pour concrete, and it's raining, it's muddy, you got mud, you know, your boots weigh 10 pounds, you just want to wash up and go home. That's the kind of work that they're doing, the foundational work. In fact, you know, for all of us that do hunt, it's like we have this nice house that we're, you know, we're allowed to use. Well, those guys are down in the basement and, and protecting that foundation when the animal rights and environmental lobby come against um, hunting. They're down there to try to make to ensure that foundation stays. You know, when that foundation gets eroded a block at a time, the whole house starts to settle and, and you get by, you make adjustments and you get by and you make adjustments, but if you leave that stuff unchecked, eventually the, the house is going to fall. Mm-hmm. And I see one, this is kind of one of my soapboxes, but I feel pretty passionate about it. <clears throat> Whether it's a neighbor or a co-worker or somebody on social media, you know, there's a, there's a fringe, I don't know what percent of the population that are pretty avid, you know, hardcore animal rights type people that aren't to listen to science or, or, or facts or whatever, and we're probably not going to change their minds. But there's a pretty big chunk of people in the middle that don't have a huge opinion about hunting, and so they'll hear a conversation about, hey, we need to stop trapping because this guy's out here and he's trapping all your dogs and cats, and so they, they put a moratorium on that town you can't trap anymore. Well, maybe if we can have an educated discussion with those people, and explain to them what trapping is, what the regulations are. You know, people who think that hunting is about going out, cutting the antlers off of something and leaving it lay. Explaining, if we can have a um, civil conversation, I, I guarantee you, if you talk to five or six people you know, over the course of the year, they're in that middle group. They're, they don't have a big opinion on hunting. Now, if you, uh, and if you have a civil conversation with them, there's going to be two or three of them that will thank you for explaining it to them who will say, you know, I never thought of that. That makes sense. And then when, you know, a political thing comes up or when something comes up on on, uh, social media or whatever, those people are now informed to make a better decision. And if we can, you know, sometimes our knee-jerk reaction is to spout off on social media when somebody has a question or a complaint. Well, if we take the time to try to have a discussion with them, a lot of those people, we're going to be able to move from being, I don't really care about hunting, or, yeah, I'm not a big fan, I don't know. We can we can help educate them to the point where they say, you know what, I, I, I get what that, that's doing a good thing. You know, they're helping manage, the, you know, the Department of uh, Natural Resources hunting to help manage wildlife populations, keep it in check with, with food sources and, and you know, whatever, that, that's doing a good thing. I support that. The more, because what's happening is these pieces of legislation go to vote and then the, the 
anti-hunting type organizations have millions of dollars to throw into ads to tug at the heartstrings and people are being misinformed and then they go to the voting booth and pull the lever and it's not in our favor. So even if we don't have a big organization that we belong to that's helping fight these things in court, each one of us can do it one-on-one. If each one of us just has one or two conversations over the course of the year, that's when to make a big difference. That and if we can stop as hunters stabbing each other in the back, you know, we have these splinter groups, you know, I only hunt with a bow. Well, the next guy's like, well, you're, yeah, but you're using a crossbow. And the next guy's like, well, but, you know, bows are cheaters. I use a traditional bow or whatever. Here in the U.S., you know, there's some places you're allowed to hunt over bait. There's some places you can hunt with dogs. You know, there's other places where about the only way to hunt is put on a backpack and hike back in eight miles. You know what? It's lo- I mean, there's places and not everybody likes it, but there's places you can pay to go hunt that that has a fence around it. You know, the reality is we're all on the same team, and, and these differences that divide us are so minuscule compared to the giant gulf between us and the people that want us hunting down. And when we run around stabbing each other in the back because, you know, we want to be judging of somebody else and how they hunt it's different than the way I hunt, you know what, if it's legal... In, in their area to hunt that way and they're abiding by the laws let's support each other if we stab each other in the back PETA doesn't have to get out of bed in the morning uh, <laughs> I'm really that. passionate about that if we don't stick together and support hunting who will obviously the anti-hunters aren't and when we stab each other in the back I stress if it's legal and, and they're following their local game laws we don't need to support the people that are out there causing us all problems you know poaching and what have you but when it's legal, we don't have to like it ourselves. If people are following the laws, let's support each other. And, you know, we're a small enough community as it is. Let's not carve ourselves up into being smaller pieces. It's funny that we brought up legislation. It's uh, one of the old legislations we had in Canada was uh, it was called the long gun registry. And so if you had a long gun, which is, you know, most commonly a rifle or a shotgun, you had to have a basically a credit card sized piece of paper for every single long gun you owned. We got rid of that a while ago. Um, there's speculation that it might come back. Hopefully not. I really hope not. But uh, right. it, it's good to have, you know, what we mentioned, groups come together to get rid of legislations or to actually provide legislations that make sense. You were right. Canada definitely has those kind of groups that bond together to, you know, fight the good fight. For sure. Like, and, and another thing is, too, that we have, and I'm sure you guys do as well in your community, one thing that really gets to me is uh, – the, the lack of knowledge that a lot of, and I can say hunters have, um, because the willingness to not educate themselves, not get as involved, and that's okay. You don't have to be a part of every program and go to seminars, but educate yourself. And, you know, there we have here what's the, uh, the OFAH, the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters. So being a part of that as a member you pay a yearly membership fee it goes back to great support of wildlife the main things that we love doing fishing hunting and it gives you all the inside info as to what's going on with our hunting rules and regs and i think that's a big thing you know now a lot of people will go straight and look at facebook you know we got and I won't say the names exactly, but the some Facebook groups of you know local hunting parties and people are bashing each other because of rules and different types of hunting. And I personally, I don't use dogs to hunt, but that's not to say that I don't support it. It's still hunting. Right. I know those hunters are giving back, 
And that's, uh, that, that's one thing. I'm going to write this point down at this time and just really stress that to people to, to listen to this, at least this segment, and, and educate themselves. And hopefully that this will help someone want to get more involved. Yeah, you know, there's a verse that says, my people perish uh, for lack of knowledge, something to that effect. And it's kind of like what you don't know can hurt you. And, you know, the days of uh, paying for a hunting license and feel like that's going to do all that we need to support hunting, that long over. You know, the more involved that we are, the more knowledgeable we are. The other side is very, uh, I was going to say informed, but they're very, they're very informed and they, they're good at misinforming the public. And they're very well funded. Absolutely. They're, they're, they multi-multi-million dollar budgets and our side is not nearly funded like that so the more that we can be knowledgeable to have a good conversation with a friend or neighbor or social media and then getting involved i agree again if we don't support each other i mean who will nobody yeah we are all the reason that we all get to hunt right it's it's because of you mike it's because of marcello it's it's because of each other that we're still getting to go out to the bush every saturday and go hunting so yeah the more that if that lacks then for sure there's going to be uh there's going to be some cuts and different changes made and they they certainly won't be changes for the better they'll be for the worse and then hopefully it never gets to that point but people will certainly say well why has it come to this well you had the option and you chose not to. So while we're on the topic of hunting, one thing we always like to ask is what are, let's first off, let's talk about any big plans for your hunting season for 2019. Well, I do at this point for me personally, I do most of my hunting here, right? Actually around the house. So either out back behind our house or across the road. So I don't at this point, I did go out west a few years ago with a friend. Uh, we did an elk hunt, and uh, you know, I, as I said to you, I'm I still consider myself a newbie. And the reality is, on that trip, I was probably the more experienced. So it might have been a little premature for all of us, but we did, we had a great time. We were of course back up, I don't know, 10, 10, 12 miles or whatever it was. That's awesome. Um, that was a great trip. So I don't, uh, other than that it's, it's a busy time of year for me in the fall so getting away for very extended periods of time in the fall for me is pretty tough in fact just this past fall i felt like i didn't when it came time to hunt the rut here i almost didn't feel like i had the time to take off and and i was really thankful i got something pretty pretty early on and so i didn't uh i was able to take off enough time for that so basically uh you know i like doing a lot of target shooting over the summer and uh and just basically on more or less the white tail rut here in ohio we do a lot of uh target shooting during the summer and spring we go to a lot of competitive 3d shoots and we actually go to the states a few times um the r r100 saginaw and uh this year we're gonna both try to make it out to the uh, total archery challenge in michigan um, oh wow yeah okay. it should be a good time do you guys feel that helps you with your nerves in a actual hunting situation in other words the dealing with the pressure of uh, archery competition does that translate it seems to me like it would but uh, does that translate over to hunting if I can be honest, I would say no. <laughs> uh, there's, <laughs> comes in, there, yeah. yeah, there's something about buck fever that just doesn't seem to diminish. Obviously, yeah. it, it's pretty nerve-wracking. R100 was, you know, pretty cool. Now, there isn't any money at R100. There is dozens and I'd probably say hundreds of prizes to be won. But 
Yeah. It's it's the competition is definitely you know it, it definitely gets your nerves going and I'm sure it would especially when there's like forty thousand dollars on the line, but it, it definitely I would say it helps build that uh, that set of nerves rather than it doesn't really take it away it just helps you better them it helps you control okay, you know kind yeah. of what's going on in that instance. Yeah. Like if that twelve yeah, point makes... still comes in like if I'm being honest like I'm still gonna shake a bit. Yeah. There is no doubt about <laughs> it. Well, that that makes me feel better. I, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I still I still get it quite a bit. So, and I I'm not put dozens of deer on the ground, but I put it enough that I would think, you know, and I'm, I don't shake as bad as the first one, but it's still yeah. it's still there. That's for sure. Yeah, I I think uh, there's this quote. It's if you ever don't get excited when a giant buck walks in with a bow in your hand, it's time to give up hunting. Yeah. So I'm not saying like you gotta like pee yourself while you're in a tree stand because you're so excited, but right. um, yeah. To me, I think if you're not excited, then what's the point, right? It's it's part of the hunt. Yeah. To me. And if I could pick your brain, uh, there's two other questions that always go with the one that Cam asked, and that's: Do you have any dream hunts left on your bucket list, and do you have a favorite hunt that you've done already? Well, I would like to go back out west and do an elk hunt myself and my, and my friend or whoever it is I end up going with. They're both a little more. I guess prepared or whatever. That was just an awesome experience. I definitely would like to do that again. For me, the bucket list is pretty long because I, <laughs> you know, I've primarily whitetail hunted. So I mean, I'd like to do a bear hunt too. Now let's clarify. I, you know, what my bear hunt and maybe what your bear hunt would be would be a little different. I, I I'm probably not going to go way up north like that and and be out with with only a, a handgun where I could be just as easily be lunch. I I got a little ways to go before I'm at that level. But <laughs> I would uh, love to carry a handgun with me, but we legally can't. Yeah, we just can't do it. Yeah, right, right. No, I understand. Yeah, that. So, like, do you when you do bear hunt? So, if you're up north there, you're just you're spotting stock in it, right? Yeah, we can't. We can't. We have the option to bring tree stands. But we usually just spawn stock it. Yeah, I would definitely be the tree stand <laughs> category. That's for sure. We love tree stands. We use yeah. them all the time down here for deer and uh, for yeah. bear. We use them all the time, actually, too. But just uh, yeah. when we're up there for moose, it's there's nothing like hiking around and uh, you know. Oh, uh, that I mean, I to to say that's on my bucket list. Yeah, but that's so far for me. That's <laughs> that's so far down the road. You know, after a few other things, you know, to do an archery moose. But I mean, I suppose that bucket list would be pretty deep. But what was your other question? Have you had a hunt that's kind of been like your favorite that you've, you know, you could always look back on? To me, I have some that I can always draw back on and be like, that was an amazing hunt or that was a really funny moment or, you know, I'll never forget that hunt kind of thing. The one that was, it was pretty unique. It was my second or third year of hunting. I can't remember. I think it was, actually, I think it was my second one. And I was kind of geared up to plan to take off some time to hunt the the rut and my the week before my dad had a stroke he was in his 80s and uh ended up going and spending that week with him and he ended up passing away uh and i i never you know always be thankful i did that he never regained consciousness but i there's something about being there that i'll always be thankful for and so I just, and then between that and then come back, I was busy at work and then went back out to Iowa for the funeral and just all of that. I just, November was, you know, I wasn't even thinking about hunting. And about second week in November, my daughter noticed out back that year, 
kind of standing around in daylight, and I got the binoculars out, and I realized that he had an injured leg, and I think that's kind of why he was up and, and feeding during the day. And I was able to, I, just to get out, I didn't really even have a, and this is a very small scale hunting here. I couldn't even, I didn't feel comfortable like I could have, I would have, well, I suppose I could have, I could have hiked in a pretty huge, you know, giant circle and gotten around him, but I had my, uh, my son take me around back on the four wheeler and, you know, the, he just laid down because, you know, it was just a machine, it wasn't a human. And I got out behind him and, and, uh, was able to get up in a, in a tree and finally figure out where he was and used then I, I was able to get back down and stalk up through the, the creek bank and use that as my my cover and I got within maybe oh, 20 yards of him or so until he fed closer to me and it was my yeah it was only my second year my first year I was surprised I hit the thing I was shaking so bad <laughs> and this guy was the same I, I was surprised I hit him and, and he's only 10 yards. I, he would have been very far. I <laughs> I was shaking so bad. And he took off. I thought I had missed him. Just, he took off like he wasn't injured or anything. Right. And uh, so I just, again, rookie mistake, I just climbed up out of the creek bank and walked over to where, about where I shot him. And I'm looking around, just didn't see any blood. And then I hear this, hear this crash, and I look over, and he, here he just ran off 20, 30 yards and was standing there. And so, you know, I, I obviously scared him off. So I went back. I My arrow was buried in a tree. I was down in the creek bank almost shooting up, you know. And I hit him maybe upper lungs, I suppose. And so I didn't, there was no blood. I just figured I missed him. But I did see, you know, blood on the arrow. So I went back to the house and then went back out maybe half hour. And he had only gone another 20 or 30 yards. He ran off 20 yards after I shot him stood there and if I would have just waited he would have tipped over right there yeah but he didn't didn't leave any blood because the hit you know he hadn't uh, the blood level didn't make it up yet to the where the air went through yeah uh, probably a lot of but that was pretty cool just kind of my family being involved with that and it's a pretty unique situation I'll probably never run into again but yeah uh, then was able to take out a deer that clearly I don't be surprised if he would have made it through the winter with his, his one leg was pretty well shattered but boy when I shot him I, you wouldn't have known he was injured. Yeah, I was just kind of neat just with my family being involved with that. Kind of unique story. Yeah, no, I uh, I love hearing that, and it, it can makes me so anxious for the next season, and um, I, I wish you the best of luck through your 2019 season. So, Mike, that really answered all of our questions. We are super happy that we got to run into you guys at the ATA show this year, and we hope to see you next year there. And um, for everyone that is listening, be sure to go check out Hunter's Blend Coffee, Instagram, Facebook, and the website for some cool swag and some delicious coffee. Delicious coffee. You know, not starting your morning off with a good cup of coffee really pisses me off. So <laughs> starting it off with a good cup of coffee and knowing really the, the backstory, I, I am really going to be pushing this podcast because I want people to hear where this is really coming from. I know there is a lot of coffee drinkers in this world, and uh, I really appreciate you giving us the time to have you on here today, Mike. And, uh, yeah, we will certainly be in touch with you later down the road. Well, thanks, Cam and Marcello. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on with you guys and uh, wish you both the best with the upcoming season as well. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us. So, like I said, cof- like Timmy's coffee's ruined. For yes. Sure. 
It, I can't have it anymore. No, I can. No. Bean water, no thanks. <laughs> that is probably the best coffee you're going to have. Yeah, Hunter's Blend's amazing. We never really got too into it, but like for me, it's like I like a bold, good tasting coffee, and well, it's, it has a good flavor, but it's not overly strong. It's just, it, it isn't. It's it's very flavorful. And one thing he mentioned, if you remember, uh, just about the creamer mm-hmm. and people adding a whitener of some sort. Right. I drink my coffee with sugar. And you that's usually to... just because it had that, like he said, like that bitter yeah. taste, right? Or that like that natural that weird, Yes. And with Hunter's Blend, I actually don't need to put any sugar in it yeah. at all. If I do, it's almost like having like a French vanilla. It's so yeah. sweet. And you, at one point, you used to be a regular, didn't you? Like coffee Yes, yeah. And you don't need any. No, yet. never put more milk or yeah. cream back in my coffee. It's delightful. And, you know, we talked about a French press. Is it just me or does a French press make your coffee like creamier without adding any cream? Oh, man. French like, press is like... If people are just so generic and stick into like the Keurig, you got to get out from under that rock that you're living under and you got to try a <laughs> even, freaking French press. Even just like a normal drip coffee maker. Yeah. It's just, once you do have a French press, it's just, you get a frothy coffee. It's amazing. It's delightful. So one cool product that they have online too is uh, they have a pour over and I can't remember the like price the on that. Yeah. yeah. I see so, Don Dudley likes it a lot. So they actually have one, a Hunter's Blend. So definitely some, some cool swag, nice t-shirts and, and the mugs, the Tumblr man. I'm you weren't kidding. No. The, giving the idiot run for their money. Absolutely. Like I was really impressed. They're, yeah. uh, they're 20 bucks for a Tumblr. Get that. And uh, actually, if you sign up, one thing I should have asked him was oh, the, the rewards program that they offer. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so they offer a rewards program. And basically, you refer that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You can use that as points to buy yourself merch or more coffee. Mm-hmm. So, so as the more points you get, the more you can get free coffee. In the yeah, world, the right? more beans. The more beans, as yes, they call the it. point system is called beans. Beans. I know how many... We have a few points right now, or a few beans right now. I saw that email today. Yeah, so definitely, guys, go check that out. There is some really good information in there, and we can't stress it enough. Uh, I hate seeing that crap on Facebook of you know buck shaming mm. and all kinds of stuff. Trophy versus me. It, absolutely, like yeah. it, it does not matter. And I understand, you know, for some people that don't have or the regs is a bit of a pain in the butt to get to online. Yes, not everyone has the book. Me myself, I'll go to the book when I have it. Or I know how to use it online, so I do. But for someone that's just getting into it, if you have a question, don't hesitate to ask it on a a Facebook or an Instagram page, post, whatever. But if you're an educated hunter or if you've been hunting a long time, do yourself the research. Odds are, if you're looking something up in that book, you're going to come across something else you didn't know. So I I would say to use that. And uh, yeah, everyone, we're definitely in this together. We are all hunters. We all contribute. And without you guys, without me and Cello, that's it. We, we just wouldn't be hunting. So thank you to Mike for that. And dude, I'm that gonna, was an awesome podcast. Yeah. I am going to kick Cameron out of my house and go make a fresh pot of coffee. You um, don't actually have to kick your buddies out of the house to do that. But I will drink some coffee with you. So Oh, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> without further ado, yeah, that is to, it for this week. Yeah, we're off to archery league night because it's our Thursday night. And uh, I guess we'll see you all next uh, well, next time. I, I, I would say everyone to enjoy the podcast at a certain time when this is uploaded, but you won't have a cup of Hunter's Blend just yet. But if you don't, you should after this episode. So thanks, everyone. Yeah. See you guys next week.